Children may be dismissed to junior church. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Somebody's excited for their children to leave uh, to junior church. I invite you to turn to Romans 13 today. Romans 13, as we continue, and we're getting into the more ethical, the more um, you know, practical sections of Romans. Um, if I'm not as expressive as I am, I do think passion is contagious, but... Um, I developed this thing on the back of my head on um, Monday. Megan's laughing. And we tried to pop the whitehead thing, and it got bigger and swollen. And I'm told by Mercy Health over a virtual thing that I need to see my doctor tomorrow. It's an abscess and needs an antibiotic. But if anybody has a scalpel, I'll be excited just for you to get rid of it right after the service. Because every time I turn my head, it's like it's stretching the skin. And then also, we, I put a floor down um, uh, laminate floor on Friday, and I felt like I couldn't even walk yesterday. So people who do construction, I do not know how you do this day in and day out because my body just really hurt, but I'm getting back to normal today. We're in Romans 13, and and I want to uh, just share, just make sure that you're awake this morning and alert as we go to Romans 13. So let me share something with you, and I want to see how many people uh, catch it. Somebody shared on a social media account, my son has been eating electrical cords, what do I do? And someone responded, ground him until he conducts himself properly. (laughs) Just make sure you're all uh, uh, with it today. So... Another one, just bought a book called How to Survive Falling Down a Staircase. It's a step-by-step guide. Okay. Step-by-step guide. Anyways, I thought I'd share some of those just to make sure, get you laughing, get you bringing in some extra oxygen as we go into Romans 13. Because you're going to need that sense of humor. Because today we talk about uh, being submissive to authorities, right? And I'm sure that you're all eager to come to our worship service and talk about a passage dealing with submission to authorities, especially as we continue uh, COVID pandemic, you know, and uh, this time. And whereas in the last year and a half, there's been a lot more of, you know, authority mandates and things like that. And now we come to Romans 13 and it talks about being submissive to authorities. I wonder, did any of you ever watch the Andy Griffith show? Show of hands. Andy Griffith's show, right? There was one particular episode that I'll never forget. I even can imagine Gomer Pyle saying this right now. Barney gives Gomer a ticket. And Gomer is arguing about the ticket. And, you know, Barney is being a stickler for the rules, you know. And all of, and he takes a ticket. Gomer takes a ticket. And Barney goes and does a U-turn. You know, and I guess they were illegal there at that time because Gomer starts chasing down Barney in the deputy sheriff car and saying, citizens arrest, citizens arrest, you know, because he thought, you know, the police officer Barney Fife could not do that. And so Gomer was going to get him. Today's passage gets into the place of government in our life. Here's the thing. God's order. Think of sphere sovereignty. There was a really, really good truth project um, uh, group, um, I want to say episode, but really lesson. We'll say lesson about this. Uh, for many of my Sunday school class, last summer I played lesson 10 of the Truth Project, which was phenomenal. And for those of you who have not been through the Truth Project, we want to have that led again. So let me give a little plug again. If anybody wants to host a small group, we have two... Um, Two sets of the Truth Project, which you could lead at your house with a DVD. Very, very, very good. And lesson nine of the Truth Project was God's order of society, God's order of government. And they said just this. The, the speaker, Del Tech, it said just this. You know, it's supposed to be God, state, people. 
God, God's order is this. God, state, people. Okay? The state is to submit to God, and the people are to submit to the state. Our country was really founded that way, on Judeo-Christian values. Our country, I'm not saying they all were Christians. They certainly weren't all perfect. You know, there's always some corruption in government. But our, our country is founded on a Judeo-Christian worldview where it's God-state people, where we get our values from God. We don't get our values from the state, do we? We don't get our worldview from the state. We don't get our worldview from the government. We hope not, right? We get our values from God's word. We get our moral values from God's word. So God's order is God is first and foremost most important. And then the state and then the people. The state, the government submit to God and the people submit to the, to the government. However, here's, here's a very difficult concept. Whether or not the state submits to God, we are to submit to the state. Unless the government is mandating that we violate God's command. And we'll come back to that in a bit, but let me just tell you now. Whenever there's a conflict of who to submit to, you obey the higher power. And God is the highest power. So my theme today is Christians are called to be submissive to authorities. That's simple. I think we can all grasp that. We're going to look at Romans 13.1 here in just a minute. But uh, Romans 13.1 is to be subject to the government. Paul is very pointed, very practical. Be submissive to the government. Uh, ben Witherington is a professor at Asbury Theological Seminary. And I was reading his commentary on this passage. And I always read footnotes. I find footnotes to have some of the best material in them. And, and he had a footnote that said this. It said, it is very interesting to compare what Paul says here... And how he describes Christian community life to what Tertullian says at the end of the second century. Tertullian was a Christian leader at the end of the second century. So we're talking like 190, 180 AD. And this is what Tertullian said. Tertullian said, we are an association bound together by our religious profession. We meet together as an assembly in society. We pray for the emperors. We gather together to read our sacred writings. After the gathering is over, the Christians go out as if they had come from a school of virtue. Isn't that interesting? You know, at the end of the second century, the church was facing a lot of persecution. There was a lot of corruption in the government at the end of the second century. I watched a documentary about that time period. It was called Gladiator. And... It really wasn't a documentary, okay? It was a good movie, but not a documentary. But we know Gladiator is accurate in that the government was quite corrupt at the end of the second century. It was very corrupt when Paul was writing this passage. And Tertullian, the church father, the church leader here is saying, we meet together as an assembly, we pray for the emperors. They were super corrupt. They were killing Christians. They were blaming Christians and everything. They were hurting Jewish people as well. And they said, we pray for the emperors. Tertullian said, we gather together to read our sacred writings. But after the gathering is over, the Christians go out as if they had come from a school of virtue. They knew how to exist as a church, really as exiles, really as strangers, really when the government and the people did not share their worldview. They knew how to, how to function in society. And guess what? The church grew. An early church father, a writer, a historian said, the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church growth. The blood of the martyrs was the seed that brought the church growth. 
In other countries, they know how to stand for Christ. And we need to be praying for them, especially in Afghanistan right now. But also in Iran and these other countries, we need to be praying for them. So now we're in the ethics and moral section of Romans, and Paul addresses the government. Look at verse uh, 1 of Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Now notice Paul goes back to the highest authority. For there is no authority except from God. Ultimately, God is the authority. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Now that is an interesting phrase. Was he endorsing? Was he saying God wanted, you know, Caesar Nero to be the emperor at that time? Is God endorsing corrupt government? I don't think so. And we're going to come back to that in a minute. Actually, I'll just tell you now. He's saying God endorses government. God endorses the need for authority, for law and order. God set that up. There's a passive command here, and then there are two statements about governing authority. The passive command is passive. Let every person. It's not do or don't do. It's just let every person. It's just a very passive command here. The command is that we are to be subject to the government. And, and this idea is throughout Scripture. You know what? It's not just the idea of being subject to government throughout Scripture. It's the command of being submissive. Ephesians 5.21 tells us to submit to one another in fear and reverence of Christ. You know that Ephesians 5.21 precedes what we call the household codes. Many times people want to point out the very next verse, it says, wives, submit to your husbands. But before he ever says anything about wives, he says, submit to one another in fear and reverence to Christ. Titus 3.1 and 1 Timothy 2.13 also tells us to be subject to the authorities. In 1 Peter 2.13, he tells us that's part of our witness. It's part of our witness to be good citizens. Hebrews 13, 7 and 17 tells us to submit to church leadership. Now, who is the ultimate authority? It's God, right? Look at Daniel 2.21. It says, He, that's God, He changes times and seasons. He, again, that's God, removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Who gives the wisdom? God. Who removes kings and sets up kings? God. Who is in charge ultimately? God is in charge. He either causes or allows, causes or permits all things. Daniel 4, 17. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers. The decision by the word of the holy ones. To the end that the living may know that the most high. Who would be the most high? God. The most high rules the kingdom of men. And he gives it to whom he will. And sets over it the lowliest of men. And Daniel 4 is about Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar conquered Jerusalem, burned down Jerusalem, takes the Jewish people into exile, and Nebuchadnezzar got proud. And when he got proud and he said, I did all this, God made him live like an animal for something like 10 years. And eventually he was humbled, and he came back and quit living like an animal, and the disease that, that God caused went away. But the Bible clearly tells us Nebuchadnezzar was God's instrument of judgment. God used Nebuchadnezzar to punish Israel because they weren't walking with him. 
In Genesis chapter 15, God promises the land of Canaan to Abraham. But God tells Abraham there'll be 400 years of captivity, which happened in Egypt. I saw a documentary about it. It was called The Ten Commandments. With Charlton Heston. Anyways, they went into Egypt and they came out. And know what God says in Genesis 15? He says the sins of the Amorites were not complete. So when, so God was giving the Amorites, which was the people group right there in the Canaanite land, God was giving them 400 years to repent. And when they did it, God sent his people in. And God used his people to bring judgment on that area. It was God bringing judgment through the hands of the Israelites. God works through people for his purposes and for his will. John 19, 11, Jesus answered him, this is Pilate, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. God is ultimately in charge. So as we look at Romans 13, and we continue looking at verse 1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. We, we continue this. Uh, he says, for, and that means there's going to be an explanation. For there is no authority except God. For there is no authority except God. It means every government is under the sovereignty of God. God is a purpose. God can use it. This does not mean that God endorses corrupt leadership. As I've said, let me repeat that. The Roman leadership at this time is very corrupt. This means that God is the ultimate authority. There is no authority above God. Every leader will have to submit to God. Every leader will have to give an account to God. Those that exist have been instituted by God. We may all know that throughout the late Middle Ages, the early Renaissance period, the kings, Henry VIII, and different people like him, would use this verse to encourage, make, require submission. But this was not saying God condones corrupt leadership. That's not what this is about. This is only endorsing the system of governance. This is not endorsing an evil monarch. God ordained, set up the idea of governance, the idea, you know, of an authority structure. We're going to come back to that in a minute. But in verses 2 through 5, we see the why. Why do we have to submit to government? Look at verse 2. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. There's an inference here. Whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed. What he means is that when we resist authority, we are resisting the government, and God has appointed government. This does not mean resisting President Biden or President Trump or President Obama or so on is resisting God because of them. That's not what this means. It means we are resisting the government, and God has appointed a system of governance that we do need some form of structure for leadership in our communities, for leadership in our civilization, for law and order. And God recognized that. We see that in the Old Testament. We're going to see that in a minute. Paul says, if we resist, we will incur judgment. That is discipline. Look at verses 3 through 4. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath 
on the wrongdoer. So now Paul is saying that the authority is a servant of God who carries out God's wrath on the person in the wrong. This is very practical. If you do good, the rulers will not bother you. Now, any one of us can think of the exception, right? Where somebody is doing right and they're punished. However, we do not make rules based on the exceptions. We make rules and policies and procedures and all that type of stuff based on the norms. The norm is, if you do what is right in day-to-day living, they're going to leave you alone. Now, there are states like the Nazi state, you know, which was a little different. Those are the exceptions, which, you know, isn't it interesting that those are the exceptions? If there was not a God, I believe that would be all of life. But God gave his common grace on all of us. So most everyone, even the most, even the most uh, immoral, sinful people, recognize this, this stuff's wrong. And hopefully at some point, some point soon in the near future, most everyone We'll see abortion the same way we see slavery from 200 years ago. Just, you know, we will abhor it. We'll see it as just so wrong. But if that happens, it's only by God's common grace. And, uh, and which means God's grace uh, to show right from wrong is given to everyone regardless of whether they are Christian or not. Hopefully we'll get that way with abortion. Uh, I'm, pre- I'm certainly praying that way. So he's saying if we do wrong, we are right to be afraid that government does not bear the sword in vain. That means for no reason. The ruler is a servant of God, meaning by serving in the government, whether one realizes it or not, he or she is a servant of God. They are in God's system. The leader is an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. This means that oftentimes God punishes wickedness through his people, like I mentioned with Nebuchadnezzar. This is really all about common grace, which I just mentioned. Verse 5, therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. This sums this section up. There is an inference. When we are subject to the government by obedience, we avoid God's wrath. How? In obeying the government, we are obeying God's system to keep up moral order in the fallen world. God has a system to keep up moral order in the fallen world. Even the system is fallen. Depravity is everywhere, right? So it's never perfect. But that's the idea. It is also better for our conscience because in obeying government, we are doing right. Now let's look at verses 6 through 7. In obeying the government, we pay taxes. Now this is probably the subject that no one wants to talk about, right? So now Paul deals with taxes in verses 6 through 7. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. I'm reminded of an Andy Griffith episode. I watched a little bit too much of that in my younger years where uh, Barney Fife was complaining about taxes and all the taxes and and the government should be taking people's money. And Andy was trying to get a word in to tell him, uh, Barney, uh, Bart, 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 we're paid, we work for the government. <laughs> we're paid by those taxes. There's another episode of Andy Griffith where he, uh, Barney lit, op- uh, answers the phone at the sheriff's office and then says, we should have an unlisted number, you know. <laughs> He's saying here, we pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes, honor, 
He says, because of this, because of what? Because of the government system, which was instituted by God, we pay taxes because God set up government as part of his common grace and natural law. It's common grace, it's natural law. Now, I want to look at when did God set up government. I'm going to look at that in a minute. And I think it's clear God set it up. We could all go back to the fellowship hall and have a town hall meeting and a discussion or an argument over lunch about how much government is right and how much is wrong. If any of you watched Parks and Rec ever, uh, Ron Swanson, the character in there, hates government, you know, even though he's head of the Parks Department for a community. is a funny character. You know, the, um, I saw... I shouldn't. I started, so I'll finish the quote. The quote from a former president who said, the most scariest words in the English language, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. You know, we, we all can think of, we can all think of and debate, you know, how much is right, how much is wrong. But I think we'd all agree we need some. We need some protection. We need law and order. We're thankful for the police officers, right? We're thankful for the first responders. We're thankful for our military men and women. I hope we're all thankful for the military men and women. I hope we're all thankful and we are thanking police officers. Vody Bakum wrote a book against critical race theory. I have, I've read parts of it, and from what I've read and heard about, wonderful book. Um, I think it's called Fault Lines, right, Rachel? Fault Lines, I think it's called. Yeah, Fault Lines, very good book. Well, he serves um, in Zambia, I think, as a dean at a seminary. Now, he's actually American, a black man from a America with a PhD, very smart uh, theologian and pastor and author. And he said, when he comes to the United States, he flies into the airport and he goes and he sees police officers. He thanks them so much for serving. Because in Zambia, the police are not like our police. In Zambia, you have to bribe them or pay them off to protect you. You have to bribe them or pay them off to have your own security. You have to bribe them, pay them off, so that other people aren't bribing them and paying them off to get at you. We need law and order. We need this type of stuff. And that's what God set up. But you know, the first government, the first institution God set up was the family. The family. Genesis 1, 28 through 31, and 2, 24 through 25, God set up government with the family. In Genesis 2, 15, God told Adam to take care of the garden. He was to be a steward of Eden, a paradise at that point. In Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, in Deuteronomy, God set up a system of government for the Israelites, right? There's great detail. And, and we read Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and Leviticus, and we think, why all these detail? And it's because God was setting up a Jewish nation state. God was setting up a Jewish nation state that needed a constitution. They needed to know how they function as government. And that's right there. God also put it in our hearts that we need government. Meaning God taught us that through common grace. Again, in verse 6, authorities are ministers of God. Again, because they are taking care of God's system. And then verse 7, pay what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, taxes to government. Jesus addresses this in Matthew 20, 20, uh, 22, 21. Mark 12, 17, and Luke 20, 25. Jesus addressed a taxes. It's interesting if you really look at that, though. They were trying to trap Jesus. And Jesus said, show me the coin. Whose image is on there? Caesar's. Pay to Caesar what is owed him, and to God what is owned to God. Well, the obvious thing is even Caesar belonged to God. Even Caesar was created in the image of God. God owns it all. We're to pay revenue to whom revenue is owed. Pay your boss. Pay those who you owe money to. You know, Christians, we ought to do that. We ought to do our best. Now, sometimes we come on hard times and, you know, things happen. We don't have debtor's prison anymore, thankfully. But, you know, we come on hard times. I know that happens. We ought to, as Christians, care about paying debts. Care about that integrity that we are paying off debts. 
we got to be careful about that because there's too many that don't care about that anymore, don't care about integrity, don't care about work. He says, pay respect to whom respect is owed, respect leadership, honor to whom honor is owed. You know, as we talk about government, though, there is a principle that I've heard repeatedly, first heard through Dr. Al Mohler, the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, and he shares this on his briefing uh, podcast a lot. It's called subsidiarity, subsidiarity. This means that the closest people to a situation are most equipped to handle the situation. Your family is most equipped to take care of the needs of your family. What was God's first system of governance? The family. The family was God's first civil organization, which he set up the family, right? The family is most equipped to handle the needs of the family. Not the, not the federal government, right? The federal government is not most equipped to handle the needs of the family. Now, certainly they need to step in if there's murder and things like that and major crimes, but the family is most equipped to handle the family. The local area, Poland, for example, the Poland Village Council is most equipped to handle Poland, not the federal government. Poland Township is most equipped to handle Poland Township, not the federal government. The state is most equipped to handle the state, not the federal government, and so on and so forth. That's the principle of subsidiarity. The dictionary would say uh, the quality or state of being subsidiary. A principle in social organization holding that functions which are performed effectively by subordinate or local organizations belong more properly to them than to a dominant central organization. That's the idea of subsidiarity. God set up a rule of law. God set up a rule of order, starting with the family and so on. And here the word of God is telling us that we're called to submit to God's order. And it should be God, state, people. The state submits to God. The people submit to the state. Let's make some applications, which are also some review. Right here, this passage is telling us to obey the authorities. We may not like that, especially if the speed limit is 25, right? Or 50 on 680. But we're called to obey the authorities. We must understand that God set up the system of governance, so resisting authorities is also resisting God. We must even submit to corrupt leadership. There is not an exception given for authorities that are corrupt or that we do not like. That's not an exception here. The only exception is when there is a conflict, we are to obey the higher power, which is God. In Acts 5.21, the early disciples, the early apostles are taken, they're beaten, they're persecuted, and they're released, and they're told, don't preach the gospel anymore. And what they say? They said we must obey God and not men. When there is a conflict between two authorities, we obey the higher authority, which is God. Okay? An example, if the state is telling everybody that if you have a second child, you need to abort that child, you do not obey the state, you obey God. God is the higher authority. A practical example of that is Exodus chapter 1. Exodus chapter 1, what was happening? The Hebrew, mid, the Hebrew midwives were told if uh, they had a male child, they were to kill the child. And they did not obey. They obey God and not man at that point. We must pay our taxes, verse 6. We must pay revenue to whom revenue is owed. We must pay respect to whom respect is owed. We must give honor to whom honor is owed. So we are continuing right now the very practical aspect of Romans, the very ethical aspect of Romans. And as I've emphasized, Romans, Romans chapters 1 through 11 are rich in doctrine, rich in theology. And because of that rich theology and doctrine, he moves on to these ethical principles. And so as we go about our day-to-day life, 
we can remember that God's word does have a word to say about how Christians are to cope, how Christians are to act in a fallen world. And we are, conti- we are to continue serving as ambassadors of Christ. And sometimes I believe we stand out the most in a corrupt culture where Christians still have integrity, love, gentleness, all those fruit of the Spirit, self-control, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and we can shine. Philippians 2.14 says, Do all things without grumbling and complaining. How are we doing with that? Well, ask me about halftime today. Uh, we'll come back to that then. Uh, text me. No, I'm just kidding. How are we doing with doing all things without grumbling and complaining? And then the very next verse, Philippians 2.15, talks about shining as lights. Christians are called to be light in a dark world. And to me, the world is only getting darker. But hopefully that means we can shine so much more brighter. Let's pray. Lord God, we ask your blessings and care as we wrap up this message about obeying and submitting to the governing authorities. Lord God, we thank you that your word has spoken to this issue. I pray, Lord God, that as we exit this place here after the closing song, we do continue representing you, worshiping you, loving you with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. May we remember even our enemy is our neighbor. I mean, yeah. And may we remember that the real hope of the world is not in government, at least not in fallen government, certainly in you, Jesus, the Prince of Peace and King of Kings. You're the hope of the world. And what the person needs, who may be our political opponent, or may seem like our enemy, or may be immoral, what they really need is you, to know you as Lord and Savior. May we never lose sight of that. And may we first and foremost make you Lord of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.